time on this Friday morning for us to have a little chat with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. Good morning, Vaughn. Good morning, Simi. Okay, so you spent quite a bit of time talking to Premier David Eby last night. Yeah, who does 90-minute interviews anymore, Nobody. Simi? We're in, a, we're in an era of very short attention spans. And, and the one thing I would say, uh, you know, the Vancouver Sun is going to stream this entire interview on their on their website soon. And it is rare to hear a politician spend, in this case, 90 minutes laying out how it all fits together in his vision for British Columbia. So there it is. I I recommend it just for that reason. I know it's a lot of time to take out of anyone's schedule, but this is one intelligent, articulate person who has really thought through all of this stuff. And you can disagree with it all and even disagree with whether or not he's going to succeed. But he did put it all together in, in fairly great detail last night, and I appreciate him doing that. Well, that's, I guess, one of the arguments in favor of talking to somebody for 90 minutes, like politicians, yeah. right? Because you, yeah. you don't often, you have to go beyond sometimes the soundbite. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I used to have a show uh, for many, many years yeah. on the cable channel back when there was a cable channel, and it was an hour-long show, and all of the politicians uh, liked to do it because they all said the same thing. You don't get an hour to explain yourself in politics. Uh, you can destroy your career in about two sentences, uh, but you don't get to explain yourself very often. Um, <laughs> I got to tell you, the funniest thing anybody ever said about it was an NDP cabinet minister, Dale Lovick, who came on the show, and uh, he said uh, one of his constituents uh, had called him up and said, Why are you going on? Uh, the show with that a-hole. <laughs> and Lovick said, he's only an a-hole in print. So I was, <laughs> I, was thinking of, I was thinking of having that put on my business cards, actually. But anyway, seriously, uh, some, some really interesting answers from David Eby on a lot of things. Obviously, one of the big things to ask him about was the clearing of the encampment on the downtown east side. And he said it was the right decision. It needed to happen. It needed to happen for public safety reasons. And he conceded there's an awful lot more work to be done there, all levels of government, his view. They're going to have to work together with the community and with activists and make the downtown east side a safe place to live as a low income community so the guy does not lack for ambition and that came through simi again and again what's so interesting about that vaughn though is that that's pretty much where david eby got his start is, is being kind of you know an activist lawyer on the downtown east side yeah that's true you know he said and it's quite interesting on this very reflective he said he said that's true and so i said well you know what's your reaction when Pivot Legal Society and the BC Civil Liberties Association and activists down there say, you know, David Eby, you're now the establishment, right? You're, you're not defending our interests. You're, you're the establishment we've been fighting against. And he said, well, um, he started off getting a law degree because he intended to sue politicians. He didn't think politicians would do the right thing, and he thought that activist lawyers needed to sue them. But he said he's come to realize that in order to make change in society, 
Um, you need to be a politician in control of a government uh, to put the resources there and the legal changes and all that. And that's what he's doing now. He said he still thinks that it is important to have activists to hold government to account and, uh, you know, to remind us all of the gap between aspiration and reality. But he said he thinks that people need to look at what he's doing uh, as trying to get there, trying to pursue the same values he had. Uh, I asked him, Simi, because his agenda is very, very ambitious, and he's only got to the next election to carry it out um, by his own admission. I said, do you think you may have set your expectations too high? And he said he doesn't um, hesitate on that. He thinks it's very important in government as an activist premier to set very high goals. And he said if when the next election rolls around and he's still wedded to October 2024, he said if when that rolls around, people think that he hasn't delivered enough, so be it. But he didn't want to go into that election with lowered expectations. He was determined to set them as high as possible. That's interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> he, he made a joke in the middle of all that, too. Which I, you know, the guy has a good sense of humor. So um, in the introduction to him, uh, Stu McNish, who put this thing together, uh, listed off David Eby's entire resume. And at the very end, he threw in the fact that Eby was the lead singer in a new wave rock band back in the 1990s. And Evie sort of laughed about it and said, if I'd known you were going to bring that up, I probably would have lost some sleep last night. And I said, well, now you know why they asked the former rock critic to do the interview. And, and then Evie said, <laughs> he said, he said, well, you know, when I asked him about the expectations thing, he said, you know, my career path was um, to be the lead singer in a successful rock and roll band. <laughs> so politics is kind of my backup career. And I mean, Obviously joking, but, you know, you do have to be a very confident person to make that kind of a joke, too. That is very true. Okay, so that was downtown Eastside. Um, did he talk about housing? Yeah, we talked about the housing plan. Um, I don't think he's as solid on that. Uh, talked about the troubles at BC Housing, and he said the government's getting it under control. They aren't ready to release the forensic audit yet. They're still looking for a CEO. Uh, BC Housing is still only approving about one application in four or five for social housing. So that's where we're in the, there's still a lot of work to be done. I asked them the question that's come up in my neighborhood in Victoria, which is this switch to the missing middle housing, to the provincial government having the power to overrule local governments and impose duplexes and multiplexes and row housing on single-family neighborhoods. I said, is that the end, really, of the single-family neighborhood? He said, well, what he said was pretty honest. He said, no, no, single-family homes will still be there, pause, for those that can afford them. But he said his vision is definitely to transform neighborhoods. He said he'd like to see neighborhoods again where there's lots of kids, where they're playing street hockey, where there's a childcare worker living there who works at the local childcare center and a nurse who works at the local hospital 
and a teacher who teaches at the local school and not just, you know, the high-end income people who are the only people who can afford to live in the neighborhood. So there's no question that he is bent on transforming British Columbia's neighborhoods, including like the one I live in. And I, we talked about, you know, they're giving, the government has given itself, Simi, the power to overrule local councils. This is to overrule the NIMBY forces locally. So I asked him, how often do you think you're going to have to use that? And he said, our intention is to work with municipalities. Our hope is that they will go along with the direction we're headed. He said he hopes he doesn't have to use that power very often. But, Simi, what came through is local councils, pay attention. He's willing to use the power if they won't go along with the direction the provincial government is charting. Okay, and on a very quick last note here, uh, there was some humor there, right? Yeah, oh yeah, no. <laughs> I meant to be the singer in a rock and roll band was one of them. Oh, I asked him about John Horgan's new job. And he laughed at what the quote we talked about, which is Horgan saying he doesn't care what people think about him going to work for a coal company. Um, I asked him, you know, should he be allowed to do that? And it's not against the law, but maybe it should be because uh, the uh, Greens have said it is a conflict of interest. He said, no, he said he thinks that the company mines coal to make steel and steel is essential for the global economy. And he said he is very confident that if any conflict of interest issues ever came up, that John Horgan would recuse himself from making a decision on it. Uh, he thinks that Horgan's an ethical person. So he, he did defend him on that score. Right. Ask him if he's uh, Glenn Clark offered his services to the government a while ago. Ask him if uh, he's uh, thought about what to get Glenn Clark to do. And he said, well, Clark had floated the idea of leading BC housing. He said, I don't think that's the right job for him. But he said, we're still in conversation and they're hoping to find something for the former premier, former head of Patterson uh, Group, uh, where he can serve the people of British Columbia again. Oh, very nice. And his be- what was his best laugh line? Uh, I, th- I think the best laugh line was <laughs> my original career plan was to be a leader, lead singer of a rock and roll band. <laughs> um, this career is my backup. <laughs> that is a good one. All right, Vaughn, thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye.